All right, so my batteries are now recharged, I guess, and um, I'm anxious to get back in the book of Samuel with you. If you remember, we started Samuel a few months ago, and I told you that the central question of this book, is God enough? Is God enough? Enough. Is God worth more to you than anything or anyone else? If you remember, Hannah wanted a son. And God gave her a son. But do you remember the question of her husband? He said to her, why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And God, I said, was asking the Israelites that question. Okay? Israel, you want a king. Am I not more to you than ten kings? That's the heart question of the book of Samuel. I want this. And I won't be happy without this thing. Or this person. And sometimes God gives us what we want, not as a blessing, but as a lesson. And today, Israel is going to finally get the king they wanted, but not the one they needed. Okay, 1 Samuel 9, beginning in verse number 1. This is God's Word. It says, There was a man of Benjamin... His name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, I am a visual learner, and so it may help to visualize Jason Momoa or Idris Elba or... Wait a second. How'd that get there? Who did that? I did that. But the important thing is that Saul looks like a king. Okay? He is tall, dark, and handsome. That's literally how he's described. His father was wealthy. And he was a a good-looking man, a tall man. But what kind of man was he? Let's find out. And get that off the screen as fast as possible. Okay. Verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So Saul, the donkey hunter, is the future king of Israel. Verse 4 tells us that they look in all the surrounding regions and they find no donkeys So Saul is the unsuccessful donkey hunter 
the future king of Israel. Verse 5. When they come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about me. And so now he's Saul, the quitter, future king of Israel. But his servant, in verse 6, tells us he doesn't want to quit the job. He convinces Saul to go and to find a prophet with the argument that they can pay for the man's help. And so Saul agrees, and the prophet turns out to be Samuel. And of course, God has orchestrated the whole thing. Let's skip down to verse 15. It says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Now, this is an unmistakable endorsement. God is saying, Saul will be king. So God is giving his people what they have asked for. And if you remember, ironically, this is what the name of Saul actually means. You asked for it. And so when Saul arrives, Samuel tells him, The donkeys have been found. You don't need to worry about them any longer. And he says that God has actually brought you here for another purpose. And to Saul's credit, he responds in humility. Verse 21. Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? I'm sure you've heard this quote before. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Have you heard that? The humility of Saul in this verse is a good thing. Okay, it's a beautiful thing. And I don't want you to think as we go through this, that Saul was a bad choice. God is not intentionally giving his people a bad king. In fact, God is going to provide Saul with everything that Saul needed to be a great king. He is going to set Saul up for success. Okay? Watch what happens. Verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. 
And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Samuel places Saul at the head of the table in his own seat. And he gives Saul his own portion. And this event is packed with meaning. Okay, We can't get into it all, but I just want to share one observation. By doing this, Samuel is basically adopting Saul into his own household. This is, in Bible terms, it is off the charts honor from the most important man in Israel to a nobody. The next day, the Scriptures tell us that Samuel anoints Saul as king. We're in chapter 10 now, verse 1. It says, And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over His people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Samuel then tells Saul to expect some signs on his journey home that God will use to confirm his calling on Saul's life. And then the Scriptures tell us that all of these signs come true. And then we're going to go down to verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Okay, that's an interesting phrase. That is um, not a New Testament phrase. We're not supposed to think of it, I don't think, like regeneration. Okay, like God gave him a heart of flesh. Instead, I think this just means that God has changed Saul's disposition in some way. Okay, Notice what happens next. And all these signs came to pass that day. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets... The people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, they're noticing something that is out of character for Saul. This is not like him. This is not the man that we know. He has changed. And so I think this is what it means when it says that God gave him another heart. Part of what's happening is God is providing Saul with everything that Saul needs to be a good king, to be recognized as set apart for a special purpose. What will Saul do with it is the question. Verse 14. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. 
And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, I honestly don't know what to make of this. Why didn't Saul tell his uncle the whole story? I don't know for sure, but I suspect it's because Saul didn't really understand what was happening to him yet. Samuel is the only one in this story who seems to understand what's happening. And I want to suggest that is often how God operates. God is always up to something. But what God is doing may not be clear to us. He's always doing something in your life, in my life, but that may not always be obvious to us. Think about all the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom. Because it says the matter of the kingdom, right? He didn't speak about that. Think about Jesus and the parables of the kingdom, right? Jesus told stories about lost things being found. He said the kingdom is like a hidden treasure or an expensive pearl that a man sells everything to get or to buy. Saul went looking for donkeys and found instead a kingdom. But he has no idea what to think of it yet. And it it really doesn't matter because God's going to do it anyway. The time has come. God is about to give Israel their king. Verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today, you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to Him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so Samuel gives them one last warning, right? And no one seems to listen. Is God enough? The answer of the people is no. Give us a king. Verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, 
He could not be found. Okay, this is, in my opinion, one of the funniest stories in the Bible. If you just stop to think about what's happening. God absolutely has a sense of humor. Saul went looking for donkeys. The old King James Version calls them asses. Okay? Saul couldn't find the asses, and now the people can't find Saul. Okay? That is absolutely intentional. I just don't think it's not. Verse 22. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Okay? (laughs) I cannot read this without laughing. What do donkeys do? They carry baggage. This is hilarious. It's, It's really supposed to be funny. But it also tells us that Saul struggles with a lack of faith. His humility in chapter 9, as noble as it was, was also somewhat false. And the reason I say that is because there's something about faith in the Bible, the way it's always portrayed to us, the way it's always described. True faith produces both humility and confidence at the same time. Those are always the outward marks of inward faith. Okay? Humility is the product of God exposing our weaknesses and teaching us to lean on Him. In other words, humility protects us from thinking too much of ourselves. And that's what Saul sounded like in verse in chapter 9. But faith also produces confidence. Confidence, on the other hand, protects us from thinking too little of ourselves. And it's not the same thing as pride. Okay? Pride is self-reliance. Confidence is God-reliance. We recognize that we are under God's authority, that we are in His service. We know that we are forgiven and and loved and accepted. And we can trust God and we can follow Him. Both of those things happen when faith is real. Not too much of myself, not too little of myself. Humility and confidence. And Saul clearly has what? A lack of confidence. Okay? We're going to see that more and more as the story unfolds in his life. But for this morning, let's finish our text. Verse 23. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king.
It really seems strange to me that they still wanted this man to be king. Even after they had to find him and drag him out of hiding. But they're choosing to see what they want to see. They see a man who looks like a king and that's all they care about. And brothers and sisters, this is what idolatry does to all of us. We see what we want to see. It blinds us to reality. And I want to suggest to you that Saul is is one of us. Tall and handsome, but otherwise he's just another man. And as we've seen so far in the story, and we'll continue to see it, he's a mixture of good and bad. Sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he gets it wrong. God gave Saul everything he needed to be a good king. But it's not going to be enough. Because Saul was not what the people needed. You want a king. Okay, have a king. But it's not going to turn out the way you hope it will. And you know, God could say the exact same thing about all the stuff that we think is going to make our lives better. And I don't need to give examples. If you stop for a second, you think for yourself, what is it for me? you'll know what I'm talking about. You know what you think you need to be happy. You know what you're obsessed with. And you know, it's, I hope you know, I hope the Bible, I hope you hear the Bible telling you, it's never going to be enough. It really amazes me, um, how psychology, modern psychology, basically confirms what the Bible teaches about idolatry. If you poll everybody on the planet, okay, we all think that money and fame and power is going to make us happy. And psychologists tell us that that's actually Not true at all. Contrary to popular opinion, this is what psychology actually tells us. Are you ready? It tells us that people who attend church weekly are happier, healthier, live longer, are less likely to suffer from depression, less likely to commit suicide, less likely to abuse substances, more likely to volunteer in their community, and more generous with their money. Those are all facts. Why is that the case? Okay, And I'm not trying to tell you it's because all the good people go to church. Because we're, we're not really any better or any different. 
It's because the hidden treasure is actually not the church. We are just the field where the treasure is buried. Jesus Himself is the hidden treasure. Humility and confidence are forged in our union with Christ. Because what Samuel is going to teach us and what we're going to, we're going to look at is that Jesus Christ is actually the hidden king of the Bible. Not hidden like Saul, right, among the baggage. Hidden because Jesus is not what the world expects a king to look like. But he's the one that we need. This is why Jesus is the hidden king. Look at Isaiah 53. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Brothers and sisters, this is our king, Jesus. Our king is not tall and handsome. Our king is the son of a carpenter, not a wealthy man. Our king was born in a stable with the donkeys. Our king was homeless with nowhere to lay his head. Our king was stripped, beaten, and hung on a cross between criminals where they mocked our king, where they spit on our king. They saw no glory in his appearance because why? Because God cares about the heart, not appearances. And this is what we will learn as we continue our study of Samuel. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Lord Jesus, um, in many ways we are Saul. You have given us a seat at your table. You have invited us to a place of honor. You have placed a portion before us that was yours. It belongs to your son. He earned it, not me. You have anointed us with Your Spirit. We have every reason to believe, to have confidence that You are for us. But we keep chasing other things. Holy Spirit, would You help us to trust the finished work of Christ. The King who was hidden who had no beauty, who was despised and rejected by men. Would you help us to see Jesus and to honor Him as King of our lives? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together and sing.